Hi, I'm Ali, Salon Director at the Head Gardener Hair Salon in Inverness, and I'm delighted to be sponsoring this brilliant new podcast called Lump. It's honest, raw, challenging, funny, and very, very sweary. But let's face it, cancer is a bit bloody sweary. One last thing, make sure you rate, like, and share Lump wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks a million, and over to Penny. So this episode, we're doing things a bit differently again because we're doing some talky stuff. I'm with Ali McRitchie from The Hair Gardener, who we heard from just there. And with us up at Ali's place are Roe Hayes, Rose Bristow and Shireen Fife. And we're going to be talking about something called Catwalk for a Cause because it's an experience that we all share and it is looming on the horizon. Just before we do that, we are now 10 episodes into the Lump series. And I wondered if there was anything that's jumped out at any of you from what you've heard so far, anything you found particularly useful or poignant, because we're all coming to this subject from a slightly different place. Ali and me sitting on this side of the table, we both have had breast cancer, you guys haven't had cancer. Um, Anyone want to jump in? Any particular episodes that have jumped out, Shireen? Yeah, I'll go for it. So (laughs) I think for me, I've always loved podcasts. And throughout my mum's diagnosis, I couldn't talk about it. I couldn't even kind of listen to other people talking about my mum. But podcast allowed me to think about it and not get too emotional. So after she passed away, you were the first kind of podcast I'd listened to. Oh gosh. And it's given me an insight into maybe how my mum was thinking and feeling throughout the different stages through diagnosis to her treatment, waiting for appointments, waiting for dates. But more importantly, her telling me about her diagnosis. Again, she had it when I was 12 and at 27. And I think hearing about how you were feeling and how you were thinking and your personality, the way you like facts, the way you swear, your humour, (laughs) that was also my mum. And this is the first time, (laughs) this is the first time that I've been able to think how mum was feeling and it's been one of the biggest gifts I think I've had because my mum was so strong but she always wanted to protect me at the same time because you don't hear podcasts of when it's the person thinking about telling their child. I've never heard that before. You were a similar age to be. Yeah, uh, 12. And then when my mum had cancer the second time, we knew that treatment wasn't going to work. I was also pregnant, so I was becoming a mother myself. Just my whole opinions and outlook and everything had changed. Because I think I've got this strength now. I've done so much since mum's passed away. It's made me think, yeah, I'll do that. Shall I do a podcast? Yeah, why not? Yeah, I'll join that. Shall I do a fashion show? Yeah, why the fuck not? I'll do that as well. <laughs> or the first swear of the yeah. day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I never have done that before, so... Top that, Rohe, is I all I can say to like, Can we move on to the next question? <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, the one I loved is the one with the, um, when you then interviewed, went on to interview the nurse. Mm. Oh, I love Is it Mary? Mary. Oh, yeah, see, I was listening. Mary... And um, 
I think from my point of view, because I'm, I was very much on the sidelines, mm-hmm. I'm getting all excited. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was the interview with Mary. I thought that was really fascinating. Yeah. And then, yeah, hearing in the beginning, and she was just there, but she had said those few words to you, and then you could revisit it and speak to her, and then I just, yeah. And she's so lovely. Oh, I think yeah. we might and need to bring her back yeah. at some point, because yeah, she's just yeah. so, so lovely, Mary. Yeah. yeah, so lovely, Mary. Penny sent me the recording when she spoke to Mary and this is what I love about the podcast and I love about Catwalk is the fact that um, as it transpired Mary was my sister Linda's nurse as well Ah. and so um, I was yeah so yeah I listened to it and I I listened to what she did to uh, and helped Penny um, obviously Linda never told me about Mary. She never had the opportunity mm. to tell me about Mary. But Mary remembered my sister Linda. Mm. And so the Mary episode obviously um, hit. And yeah, I was at the battlefield walking the dogs <laughs> and absolutely all these American tourists looking at me and saying, what the fuck's wrong with you? It was a long time ago, the, the battle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get over it. It was 17, 26 or something. <laughs> you're English anyway. <laughs> Do you know what was quite interesting as well? Linny, um, when she um, listened... This is another friend of Ali's for anyone listening to the podcast um, yeah. who doesn't know our gang. Sorry. <laughs> More fondly known as Lavi, but that's another private joke. Um, she, um, when she heard the Mary episode, um, she actually phoned me and she said, Oh my goodness, Ali, she said, I had no idea, you know, when you went in for your pre-op that you might have been feeling all of those things. And I said, but I was, I was all right because I'm okay with bloods and needles and things like that. Penny isn't. I said, so, you know, that was, that was Penny's, but it was, but it's quite interesting how that resonated yeah. that she was, she had had no comprehension that when I went in for my pre-ops that I could have potentially been feeling that. So that really affected Linny. So, um, yeah, it was, it was quite interesting. Anyway, should we come on and talk about the um, Catwalk for a Cause, mm-hmm. which is Annie's amazing fundraiser for the Highland Hospice. Just before we talk about it in detail, here's a reminder of a wee bit of the last Lump episode because it connects us to the event. This is from episode 10, elegantly entitled, This is not a pissing contest. There's no competition here between Who has the shortest straw? Because, as we keep saying to each other over and over again, each experience is different. Each cancer story is unique. And that mantra of every story is different is one I find being uttered on a loop as I meander through this bizarre cancer landscape. It's there in my consultant's gentle warning not to overread the stories of others when he sends me off back into no man's land to wait for the next tests or results. It was there on Saturday night when we sat and absorbed the stories of a dozen or so cancer warriors at a charity event. Little did we know how personally poignant the night would prove once it eventually came round. I sat and watched the big screen and tried to look brave as I absorbed the story of a woman with an 11-year-old who was battling cancer and of another who'd recently lost her own breast cancer fight, leaving a four-year-old son behind. All the while, David held my hand and whispered, that's not you, 
in my ear. So that was back in 2020, how wrong I was. Fast forward to 2023 and I was strong-armed by Ali into taking my sizeable bahuki, brilliant Scottish word, if you don't know what it means, look it up, onto the catwalk along with Rohays and Shireen. So that was me. When I thought it was not me, it was me. Um, Ali, explain a bit more what exactly catwalk for a cause is for anyone listening to this who doesn't know about it and why you've set it up in the way you have. Okay, so Catwalk for a Cause raises funds for the Highland Hospice and end-of-life care together. The reason I set it up is um, basically I want, I want people to have a, you know, it's, it's a fantastic evening. You're up there on a catwalk modelling fashions from the Highland Hospice boutiques, so promoting sustainable fashion. Um, and ultimately telling their own stories of strength, hope, courage, inspiration, whether they are modelling um, and telling their stories as a cancer person or whether they are modelling in memory of somebody or maybe, you know, somebody that's done something pretty amazing um, as a result of, you know, somebody um, being treated and, and helped by the by the hospice but ultimately it's a fantastic evening it's it's a happy evening just as you know it's everybody has such a great night and I sit there and I just love the fact that we are having a ball out of really shitty circumstances um and and I, I you know I can't say it enough I wish I could bottle the atmosphere in the room that night, I'd, I'd sit there and I'd see you, you all up there laughing and smiling and totally out of your comfort zone. Um, <laughs> we will come on to that bit. <laughs> totally out of your comfort zone. I think there was an element of Prosecco that was involved, <laughs> but you do get a strength and you do get to a point in your life where you just think, fuck it, why not? Let's do it. Because what have I got to lose? You haven't got anything to lose. I don't think anybody should underestimate the memories that Catwalk gives to that person, but also to the people that are there supporting them as well. Catwalk suggests it's about modelling. And I think it's probably the modelling bit that we, we, I was certainly horrified at the idea of, of taking part in. But actually, when I look back at it, I think it's more about that, that business of sharing stories. Mm -hmm because that's the stuff that's a real punch. The amazing bit and the amazing memory stuff from the night is hearing um, why everyone there and what they've brought to it. Thoughts on sharing stories? I mean, why is it so powerful? What, what is it that they bring to the party? I mean, for Ali, first of all, why do you want people sharing this difficult stuff? I think Ultimately, again, it was when, you know, we know back in 2020, like you said, at Hearts of Gold, the reason I did Hearts of Gold was it was because Steve Bland said one sentence on a podcast, I was out walking the dogs, and he said, you know, why is it when we bring life into the world, we have all this information thrown at us, but when we are going out the other side, it's so difficult to access. And so that's why I did Hearts of Gold, because what ultimately... You never know what somebody might say in that little VT 
or when they're being interviewed on the catwalk that will resonate with somebody in that audience and they just think, oh my goodness, I didn't know that. Mm. And then they, they, they then go away and, and tell 10 others. Or it might be that, you know, they say something that totally resonates and gives that person the strength and the belief to go and do something or, or carry on or, or maybe even get them to empathise and deal with the situation in a slightly different way. It's, um, it is, it, it's, it, there's so many tiny little char- characteristics within the whole event that could potentially resonate and, and make a difference to one, two, three, ten people. It, it doesn't matter. It's, um, it's the messages that are always hidden within the stories that, you know, and, and we all know, I mean, I sent one of my assistants out to get a packet of tissues for every single person that was sat there. <laughs> Pound shop didn't know what I did it. <laughs> she walked in, she went, I need 340 packets of tissues, please. Um, and um, so, yeah, and, you know, and there wasn't a dry eye in the house. And, um, but, but, in, but as you say, ha- happy tears, happy tears as well. Um, and I'm always blown away by the things that um, people are, about, are able to share um, with, um, with, a, with an audience at the Dramossi. Storytelling, Rohays. Well, I was just thinking the first time I met you was here in the house. Do you remember? Mm-hmm. And I walked in and you were, I could see you sitting there going, oh, I don't want to do it. I'm not going to do it. Why are we doing this? Ali asked me to do this. Um, I, asked you, to, I asked you to do Sisters. To do Sisters. When it was yeah. still stylish. 2018. Yeah. Was that 2018? Yeah. So we should explain that the, the, the event has evolved over yeah. the years. And so I, it was Hearts of Gold. Yes. It was, it was yeah. done in kind of different themes and what have you. And then it has become Catwalk for a yeah. Cause that we all took part in. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and, sis, and, I, and I, I can still remember you sitting there. You cornered me in the chair and... Um, Oh yeah, I'm doing the cat. Would you like to do it, sisters? It's gonna be right up your street. And I was like, I immediately said, no, it's that is not my thing. I do not want to get up on a catwalk in front of a whole load of strangers and strut my stuff down a catwalk. No, thank you. Sorry, Ali. No, thank you. And then I think as soon as I like got my hair done, beautiful as always, and then walked out, and um, I was like, why? Why did you say no? You why know, did you say yes? Well, more I, importantly, because you said no. What I said no the first time. Then fast track forward to that. Um, my sister Ali was diagnosed with a brain tumor on the eighteenth of December two thousand um, and nineteen. And then was it two, last year? You asked me. Was it two thousand and twenty two? Two thousand twenty one. Two thousand and twenty two in preparation okay. for twenty yeah, yeah. this year. And yeah. then, yeah, fast track. Two years later, I'm sitting in the same chair in, in the salon again, and Ali says, um, I, I would like you to do the catwalk. And I was like, yes. Didn't even think about it. I was like, yes. And did you not say to me that you had a real kind of spooky moment that morning? On I mean, wi- Lin, Linny always says I'm a witch. Yeah. And then I, <laughs> I have these like witchy, sensey feeling things. And, and Yeah, because I'd been thinking about it, because every time I went back into their garden, and like, there'd be a flashbang going, you always said no. You, you know, you, you said no. And it would always like, you'd have a little, like, you know, there's a little voice in your head going, yeah, 
And that, that you know, I have lots of regrets. And that was one of my biggest regrets, saying no to Ali about doing the catwalk. And so, yeah, then she bizarrely that afternoon said, would you like to? No, yeah, yes, I will do it. If you don't mind me asking, did your sister, who's another Ali, mm. um, did she end up in the hospice? Was she at the She hospice? was in a hospice. She actually was in Newcastle, right. but she was in a similar hospice. So I know the importance and the amazing work that hospices do. And yeah, she was probably, she was in there, I think, four months, not, maybe not even that long, yeah. But um, yeah, a long time where she was really well cared for. So, yeah. Yeah. And what and I think my my and I think what I said to you Ali is once you've seen someone go through cancer and then die from cancer there is nothing worse than that. There is nothing harder that you have to go through. So getting up on a catwalk and walking down with a bit of music and fun uh yeah so I was like yeah they and Ali was the sort of person that would have gone she wouldn't have said no. She would have just gone yeah. She said yes to everything. She would have never said no to walking on a catwalk. And so I think, I could, yeah, that was another reason. You were challenging Yeah, yeah, yeah. She would have got up there and absolutely loved it. Shereen, I suspect your mum, I've seen photos of your mum who was yeah. just so beautiful. I could imagine her on a catwalk. Yeah. Mind you, you're gorgeous as well, <laughs> well so in fairness. <laughs> um, but did you have to think twice about it? Because it was no. quite soon after you lost your mum, yeah. was it not? Um, my mum had passed away in the August, and I think in October we were asked to do the fashion show. Um, but for me, my mum had actually done the fashion show in 2010. Um, I don't know if it was the same one. No, I think it, it was the Eastgate and yeah, the Highland Hospice. Um, but it was very similar. The idea being you wear the clothes from the, fa uh, the hospice shops. So I remember my mum doing it. So as soon as you asked me, I thought, absolutely, why not? And I've still got the pictures and the videos of my mum doing it. Oh, nice. Um, I think it was Nikki Marr who was doing kind of the, the chatting as she was going down the, the walkway. Mm. And still, I've got that. It's, it's just lovely. So I thought my mum would absolutely tell me to do it. So yeah, I had to. And my wee boy, he was able to do it with me. So that was really and lovely. Your dad. And your dad. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was just <laughs> it was amazing. It's a family thing. So when we're talking about maybe sharing memories, I loved that part of it. I loved hearing from you guys. But I was also thinking of, you know, memories for me and thinking of my mum, thinking of Zach. Um, so yeah, we were at the hospice for five months in the end, um, so I would do anything for the hospice now. So it was a no-brainer, it was a definite, yeah, I'm doing it. Loved it. Do you think that in some way going and doing something like this, and, and even though it's sort of slightly odd walking down a catwalk um, and strutting your stuff, but telling those stories, sharing those stories, does it help? Because in order to share them, you have to kind of go and have a little think about it. Think about what's at the core of it, what, what's at the core of you doing this. Was that in some way helpful, do you think, in terms of processing what had gone on? Or was it, was it part of it? Or that idea of, of you being able to remember your mum doing it yeah. and having her with you and thinking that your sister Ali, she'd have done this. Yeah. She's with me here. I wonder if that we didn't discuss it on the night, but I wonder if that is part of it. I definitely think so. And just reflecting back on, you know, the time at the hospice, the time with mum. Yeah, there's so many sad parts to that. 
but there's also some amazing memories and being able to share that with others and telling your stories and listening to other ones loved ones stories um, it's lovely so yeah I love that part and it kind of makes you realize you're not alone it's like you were saying that you don't hear podcasts like yours because yeah. we don't talk about it so if you talk about it you realize ah oh, so someone else went through that it's yeah. not just me well, I remember when your son was on the stage, I was at the side of the stage, and that's the first time I've heard someone of a similar age talk about everything they went through with their mum. I don't know anyone my age who has been through it. So just hearing him, it was like, yeah, I'm not on my own, actually. There's so many of us out there. It was just so lovely to hear. So I loved that part of it as well. I think there's something really... Um, I've always said that honesty is a currency. And I kind of, I'm a bit evangelical about the whole honesty thing because I think, and I found it through, through doing my writing and I guess now through that becoming the podcast, that you give it out there and it allows people to bring it back to you. It, there's a, there's a, an opening up, really, a, a, it's a release. And I think through us stepping up there on the, the catwalk and, and most importantly, telling our stories, it allows everybody who is in that room to start sharing their stories. It allows people to be upset about whatever they might have in their life or whatever else. But I think that business of having this really collective bit of honesty up there is hugely important. Totally. In terms of, you know, the number of people in the audience who came up afterwards and wanted to talk about the stuff I'd said or, you know, and talk about the night and share their stuff um, was amazing. And I think that business of opening stuff out is incredibly important. Now, Ali, you, you started doing all this um, long before breast cancer came part of your life. So let's unpick a bit of your story. What's the route behind why you started doing all this work for the hospice? And I know some other charities as well, but the hospice has been particularly yeah. at your heart, isn't yeah. it? So what's behind all this? Okay, so Dad was in the hospice in 2010. Dad died in 2010. And um, when, um, when he was in the hospice... Um, there was a, she was, it was actually a lady called Paula. She was... Um, Head of, head, of, head of clinical um, at the time, I did a hair and she came in to get a haircut and she said, Ali, she said, the hospice have started doing this thing called Strictly and Vanessa and she says, they're needing dancers and I just said, you do it and I was like, oh, okay then, that's fine, all right. <laughs> um, obviously, it's changed a lot now um, but, um, so yeah, so I, I, I did Strictly, you know, I did it in memory of my dad, I did Strictly in 2011 Steve then, um, you know, and I did other things as well, and it was bits. And then Steve did a cycle, uh, the Everest Highland cycle, in 2015. And um, basically I just said to Steve, there's a cycle, 380 miles in five days, and I said, you do it. Um, but so you can concentrate on your training, I'll do your fundraising. And that's why we did Stylish of the North. Stylish of the North, um, it was ladies, all shapes, sizes, and you know, it was their interpretation of what is stylish. There was an amazing lady called Sally Huntington that modelled on the night, and um, she died the next day. And 
um, she had lung cancer. I knew she hadn't got long, but I actually met up with her daughter Joe recently in the hospice cafe, and Joe was Joe is always adamant to this day that her mom carried on because she was adamant she was going to get up there and she was not going to let me down, and um, and she literally she modelled on the Saturday and she died on the Sunday. Um, and we still laugh. I mean, Joe always says that, you know, when the undertakers came, they, they said they'd never met such a glamorous corpse in all their, in all their days. Because um, she had, you know, she had spray tan, you know, she, her lashes were still on everything. And so, um, so that, was, that, was, that was Stylish of the North. And the only thing that we made the mistake with Stylish of the North was we then themed it. We did mother and daughter the next day, the next year. We then, we then we did sisters, we then did best friends, but where'd you go from there? So then Steve Blunt said that sentence, so I thought, right, okay, let's do Hearts of Gold. Brought the four charities together, um, and then we went into a pandemic, and so nothing happened. Ali, you're clearly someone who does. You, uh, you also do things like go into the hospice and cut hair and... and you know, you're a dog with a bone with any problem. There you are, digging away, solving it. Um, but I wondered, I can't help, you know, the kind of pop psychologist in me, can't help wondering whether, is there something that you throw this insane amount of energy at helping other people with end of life because witnessing end of life is so disempowering? You know, you lost your dad and you lost your sister, Linda. And for someone who does, for someone who solves stuff, for all of us, you do all the time. I can imagine that must have been particularly difficult. It's always going to be difficult, but you couldn't solve them, could you? Yeah. And, you know, as, as I say, my, my dad is the reason I started it. But ultimately, no disrespect to anybody that's 80 years of age, but my dad was 80. My dad, you know, my dad had had a good life. My sister Linda was 50. That's not fair. Um, Megan was 11. And, um, yeah, Meg, and, you know, and Megan's going to model and, and, and next year. Um, and I was with Linda. I, I just had, again, that witchy feeling. Um, I, I found the salon. I just said, I'm not going to be in for the next few days. And, and I went and I spent, and I just went and spent the last few days with Linda um, to give Martin, her husband, a bit of a break as well, so he could operate a little bit more. Um, and even up until the last minute, I was in denial that you know she was going to be that five percent that would survive. And I was, I think there was an element that I was in denial. I, I will admit that. And so now, um, because. I had no, I, I had no control. Um, the only thing I can do is I made a promise that I will fight for Megan in every way, shape, or form, and I will, you know, I'll be there, and um, and I do do it to keep ultimately Linda's memory alive because, you know, we were down in London last weekend for a big awards and everything. I was in the garden on the Saturday in a seat, in a seat, talking to her about it. Um, and, you know, and, and spiritual as it is, you know, I wear my butterfly, whoops, sorry, I wear my butterfly all the time and, um, you know, and butterflies are very significant to me. And, and so, yeah, th there's all these little things that I still believe 
she's there for me as everybody is always there for their loved ones but I I am insanely passionate about doing this because I want to keep Linda's memory alive definitely and it gives you the power to be doing something in the face of a time when you can do nothing did you find it disempowering? Ah, oh, completely. You, you just... It's fine. You just... Because, and that's probably why I did the catwalk, because you feel like in some way you can help. Yeah, totally. Because, oh yeah, when, you, when I got that phone call and you can, you know... Um, brain's like a sieve most of the time, but I can categorically remember 18th of December, 11 a.m. when that phone call came through, and you're knocked with that news. And initially you're in shock and you think, oh, well, it's going to get better, it's going to be all right. And then you get, and you have hope, and then you have the next test, and you're like, okay, and then you're whacked down again. And, yeah, and she was my baby sister, and you just think, oh, I can make this better. And it'll be all right. And you can't. So, yeah, sitting on the sidelines completely helped. Because she was so strong. And you're like, you know, like I said, she would have been up on the catwalk. She did everything. And then suddenly you feel so helpless. Um, and you, you just do what you can. Um, yeah, making cups of tea, whatever. <laughs> or whatever you can just to make you feel like you're doing something. But, yet yeah, you feel useless. You feel guilty. Um yeah, and then you feel guilty for wishing it wasn't you, but it is them, but you wish it wasn't them. So you're just going through all these crazy emotions on the sidelines. Um, yeah. I never appreciated how much my cancer disempowered the people around me who cared about me. At the time when I was in the thick of it, all I could think about was raging that I'd been so disempowered. I hated not having choice over whether I was, you know, I didn't really feel like, well, I didn't have a choice. Have a mastectomy or die, there's your choice. Well, it doesn't really feel like a choice. And then, you know, you need to take tamoxifen, well, you need to do this and need to do that. And so I was really, oh, that, that drove me nuts because, you know, I. I Yes, I like a measure of control in my life, but I certainly like being able to choose the path of life. And so I felt hugely disempowered and raged against it. And I, I, I wrote about it, and it will be in, the, in a later episode in the podcast, because it's something that I really struggled with over a long period of time. But I never spared a thought, I don't think, for the people around me who were being disempowered over being able to do anything to help me. And I think, I think it's a, you know, I, I've, <clears throat> interesting sounds a bit pat, but I think it's an interesting, you know, we've, we've come round again, haven't we? We were talking about the, the, the childhood stuff earlier on and, and seeing it from different perspectives. But I think this is another important one that when you can be in the thick of the fight, you don't necessarily think about how it impacts those around you because they can't, they can't That's help. That's an interesting one, actually, because like Steve thinks, you know, well, I know when he said at Catwalk, you know, Ali went into super, super practical mode and all this. And I literally, I got my diagnosis that, you know, you were going to have to have a mastectomy. 
and I went back to work straight afterwards and because I'd got clients booked in and as I walked through the door Emma Jane my front of house she knew I was going in for results and she kind of looked at me as if and I just went I just sort of shook my head and then I just took the senior team downstairs and I just went, right, you lot, I've got to have a mistake to me, so I'm going to be off for a while, so you're going to have to get your shit together, okay? Um, so I've just got to go and find my sister, um, because Steve will have a meltdown, because he's just dropped me off, and he's now going to be on his own, and I know what he's like. So I found my sister. Hi, Sue. Um, I've got to have to have a mistake to me. Could you get Antoine to find Steve, please? Um, because Steve's going to have a meltdown, because he's on his own, and I know Anton will be his sounding board. My sister started crying. And I was like, stop crying. You are no use to me if you're crying. Stop it. And, and so, and, you know, it was really funny that um, Steve was like, you know, and I did, you know, Steve went a funny colour of green when Nick Abbott, my consultant, said, you're going to have to have a stick to me. And I was like, okay, right, okay. So how do we go about it? And blah, blah. And Steve just, I was like, you all right? And he was like, why are you asking me if I'm all right? You're the one that's going to have a stick to me. Um, so yeah, we're, we're all kind of different, but again, it's going back to what Shireen was saying, that you, you're putting things in place to trying to protect the loved ones around you. So everybody was falling apart. My senior team were then ultimately actually worried that that's my coping mechanism, that it's just like, actually, this is happening to somebody else, so I'm just going to push everything. But, you know, it, it, it's just the way... It's just the way I dealt with it, and, um, and I can honestly say I did not cry. It's funny, because I think your coping mechanism is to, to blackmail the rest of us into getting up on the catwalk to raise Absolutely. thousands of pounds in money. I know. It's, <laughs> in fact, when we, were, when we were sat in February and, you know, person after person was on the catwalk and, yeah, Ali kind of blackmailed it. Yeah, Ali kind of bent my arm up my back and Ali and Lauren uh, Marne kind of leant over the table and said to me, she went, there's a pattern. <laughs> <laughs> well, in fairness, in fairness, since you brought up the subject of your mastectomy, um, I, I'd said categorically I would not do catwalk for a cause. I said, I'm really sorry, Ali, you can ask me anything, but that is my worst nightmare. Yeah. It's my idea yeah. of hell, and I'm not doing it. Because you said you're going to get up there. I think you even probably asked me back in 2020 when I was mm. sitting watching two weeks or even 10 days before my own mastectomy and I was watching the whole event take place then and you said you'll be up in the next one and I went I think you'll one I will not and when you came back to me last summer and went so you're going to do it and I went no I'm really sorry I love you to bits you're a great mate but I'm not doing it and she just went mm-hmm <laughs> and that was all you said mm-hmm and off she went with a kind of a little look in her face Whatever. like that is not the last we've had of that conversation and then it wasn't until I think you got in touch and, and I discovered that not only was the cancer back, now you were going to have to have a mastectomy. And I went, oh, you bitch. <laughs> and so I saw you went, oh, all right then. I will see your cancer and I will raise you a mastectomy. <laughs> <laughs> Had to pull out it was the big gun. And do you know what? To get was... me up on the stage, I did say, now you've, now you've gone and you've been mastectomy. But... No, that was the only reason I said yes. And then I spent the whole time trying to find ways of saying no and how to break it to you gently. And I kept putting off. It got to the point where we were supposed to be going to get our clothes at the hospice shop. 
And I kept saying, no, I can't do that day. No, I'm already busy that day. No, I can't do that day either. And it was all me just going, if I go and choose the clothes, I'm gonna have to do it. <laughs> do you know what? Ultimately, big, big picture here. And the big picture is always, what you all have to remember is all the things that you said that night, all the things that you've done. Just imagine how many people you have ultimately helped support and inspired. Oh, 100%. And I will, while I will never, ever, ever look at the video of that night, oh, yeah. I can yeah. categorically promise you. <laughs> well, you said that it was all recorded. Yeah. I will never yeah. look at the recording of that in a million years. I don't regret having done it. Um, Shireen, we haven't heard from you for a while because we're very talky and you're no, sitting there. Um, what do you take away from the night? If we're wrapping this up, what, what, if you float your memory back? Uh, if I float my memory back, there was two nurses there in the night from the hospice that I absolutely loved. I loved all of them. But my time at the hospice, I had a 10-week-old baby boy and they helped me, all the nurses kind of helped me how to learn to become a mum a little bit. So if I didn't know what to do, I'd normally be asking mum, but instead I'd be asking mum, I'd be asking a nurse. And I think I did it in, with them in mind as well. So that's kind of what I take away from it, is the, the nurses, I kind of think about them pretty much every day. I still see them in Tesco. They actually had their masks on at the time, so some of them I don't recognise without a mask, but I did it for them as well. So yeah. The hospice. Right. Well, I think up until the point that I walked out onto the catwalk, or even when we were doing the rehearsals, probably, all I could think about was the audience. What are they going to think? Oh, my God. Am I going to fall over? Am I going to look stupid? And then it, all, it didn't become about the audience at all. It became about the models and what was happening behind the scenes. And that was so special and yeah I know you said you bottled it but if you could bottle what was happening behind the scenes the energy and the love and it became about that and I think that's what I'll take away um the love and and the honesty and the sharing and the and the good fun it became really good fun and all the worries and and the nerves did disappear the point of us all talking about this, of course, is Catwalk for a Cause is coming back again next February. Um, Saturday if, the 10th. Saturday the 10th Get of February. Get it in your diary. I know, and I keep asking you about it because I'm supposed to be involved, aren't I? Yeah. I am involved. You are involved. <laughs> I don't know when it is. Um, but do you still need people to step forward in terms of the Catwalk? Where are we at? What do you want? So we did a launch on social media and... Um, and the hardest thing with all of this is we get so many beautiful stories, but because of the time constraints in the evening, we have to say no to certain people. Um, we, I won't say yes to everybody, but we'd, it would go on for a fortnight. Um, and that's, that's the toughest thing. So I think at this stage, we have got the models now. Um, so we're, we're pretty, much, pretty much there. However, because of the nature of the beast, just as in last catwalk, sometimes because of circumstances, is one lady that was meant to model in February couldn't because she had to go back for more surgery. I'm praying that she'll be okay and she's going to do it next February. Um, so, you know, sometimes the nature of the beast, things change, but we just roll with the punches. 
Um, but ultimately, now it's a case of people getting in touch with Emma Nicole at the Highland Hospice to buy tables and give us lots of auction items and lots and of things. And it is a really good night, isn't it? I it's mean, I have brilliant. to say, I've, I've gone and attended it at a table um, for years and had an absolute riot. Um, so it is a fantastic night if it's something that you fancy going along to. So, and again, in order to do that, Highland Hospice, get in touch Emma with Nicole, Emma. Emma Nicole. Emma Nicole deals with all the tickets and all the table sales and everything because I am anal about transparency. So everybody knows that every single penny I get sponsorship so that all the costs are covered. We get it down to a zero cost event. So the £74,500 that we raised in February, every single penny went to the hospital. From that point of view, actually, um, if you're listening to this, and um, uh, so we're not necessarily looking for models, if you want to come along, then tables, but also a really big part of the night is some of the amazing prizes and kind of, um, there's raffle stuff, yep. there are, there's a... Silent auction, Silent auction, live auction. So if you're listening to this and you have something that you could do, donate for the silent auction, which is truly special, that's another way you can help with this. Yep, absolutely. Um, absolutely. So that's a, another brilliant way of donating. Anyone got anything else to say before I do the whole wrappy up bit? No, just thank you. Massive thank, thank you. you. It's, um, it's been great. It's been great to see Shireen again as well because I... Obviously, I see Ro Hayes all the time, um, <laughs> which is great. I'm Penny as well, but I haven't seen you for a while, so it's lovely. It's lovely to see you again, and um, yeah, and it's great to be able to reflect and and just revisit a little bit because it is pretty special. Can I? Well, I shall definitely. add my thanks to Ro Hayes, Shireen, and Ali for coming on the podcast this episode. Ali gets a big fat extra cuddle because without her and the team at Head Gardener, not only would my hair be even worse state than it usually is. Um, but Lump Podcast would not be possible and would not exist. So an extra cuddle over there. Don't forget, next time you're in the head gardener, tell the team you're listening to the podcast and you will get a free gift. And of course, if you're enjoying the series, like it, rate it, comment about it and share, share, share. That is it until the next episode when we are back on track with the next instalment of the Lump Story. I've seen what the next episode is and it is a cracker because it features Maureen. If you loved Mary, trust me, you're going to love Maureen. You're going to want to hear about Maureen. She has become one of my personal heroes. Lump is written and presented by me, Penny Stewart, and produced by Adventurous Audio. That's it.